Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, where we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, on a very special episode of Sketch Nerds, we will be talking about our top five favorite sketches about the apocalypse. Welcome if to the you, show. Wait. If you weren't, if you weren't already stressed about <laughs> yeah. this shit. But it's, it's, it's funny. And because it's a very, episode, a very special episode, we'll all learn a lesson. It's true. There will be lots of lessons learned. All right, today uh, I am joined by Seth Alcorn. Hello. Julian Morgan. Hello. And producer extraordinaire Isaiah Hedden. That's right, baby, I'm back. I'm Andy (laughs) Weld. Yeah, you were just on like the last episode, so... It's really not for our listeners. I don't think this is a very special experience. No. Um, Dang. Self-proclaimed no. fan favorite, Isaiah. Yeah. <laughs> I got so many letters in the mail. Uh, I don't even know what to do with them. So many yeah. letters. Yeah. Because, and that because, one like, friend of ours was like, hey, you were finally on the show. <laughs> you didn't know what to do with them because, like, who sends letters? <laughs> they were handwritten. Yeah. <laughs> Today, we are going to be talking about uh, our top five favorite apocalypse slash end of the world sketches. Obviously, we've been dealing with that. We are recording this uh, in early, oh, excuse me, in late May. Jesus. Yes. Uh, in late May. End of May, literally. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, obviously, it's been the end of the world for a couple of weeks now. Um, and so we thought it'd be fun to talk about some sketches uh, because we finally got organized enough to record. Uh, so first, let's talk generally. What makes a great end of the world sketch? I think I'll jump on that. <laughs> All right, go on. All right, go for it. Um, I, I had the same thought about Western films where like the Westerns are, is the setting and then the film itself is about something else. It just happens to take place in the West. And I think end of the world sketches are the similar thing where it's about something, but it just happens to be the end of the world around them. It's the setting, it's the scene, like Paris or New York or the Civil War. Like it's just the situation. So the societal rules change according to that setting. I agree. I, I think uh, that's, my, that's my big biggest thing is that like the, the story isn't so much about the apocalypse. It's like the uh, the aftermath, or like uh, people are just living through it. Um, so, so like my, my favorite ones are just ones that you like. You know that something happened, but you don't exa- you don't know exactly what happened. So there's like an element of specificity with like people living in this new normal, but then also like the mystery of like what happened. Uh, and I think keep, keeping the mystery alive is what what really intrigues me about the uh, apocalyptic things that I watch. I think for me, you've got to hit the absurdity button hard. Like that's because, you know, I, (laughs) I grew up in the eighties when nuclear war was still a thing people talked about. Like that was something that, you know, it was not, it was not off the table as it pretty much seemed to be since the fall of the Soviet Union for the most part, except when, you know, North Korea gets involved. Um, but so it, it had to be something that happened that was so completely ridiculous. You, you were just sort of stuck in a place where, well, no one would do this if this happened. This is a complete, no one would ever do this if, if this was post-apocalyptic. But that's, um, that's what I think. 
Yeah, I, I know for me, I think a little bit different from um, what Isaiah and Julian were saying, and I've talked about it on the show before, but, and we'll get into this with the next question as well, but the the descent into madness, like as the facade fa- falls away, that's mm-hmm. what I really like about apocalypse sketches is people like trying trying to go through the motions of normalcy, which we'll see in a bunch of the sketches that we talk about today. Um, going through the motions of normalcy while everything falls away around them. And that's what I really enjoy about apocalypse sketches is seeing how people go crazy. Um, and, you know, piggyback on what Julian said, like that specificity is really like, that's the fun thing about apocalypse sketches is that you can like come up with your craziest ideas. Right. And, and I, I still keep, like, 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 like you said, I, I think you can go either way. I mean, like, so um, either people like, so like, people are trying to adjust or people who are just like going to go nuts. But the, the specificity I think is the, is the main thing is, is, is the uh, through line through the whole, through the, the whole thing. Yeah. And I, I think that leads us right into like our second kind of like big question for the day, which is um, why are we interested in writing apocalyptic? Let's say we'll say comedy, but I think uh, just apocalyptic fiction in general, like what, what makes it a fun and interesting thing to think about and to write about? Again, I think it, it's almost like a sandbox of ideas. Anything goes. You know, you're building your own rules about what happened in the world or why something works or doesn't work. You know, we're not allowed to eat hamburgers anymore. It's the end of the world. Like, now you get to play in that, that universe, you know? And I think that's what really attracts people to it. It's like you, there are no rules yet. The rules you make define everything so it kind of gives you a very free landscape yeah i think like like rules are like um so rules are are, are a really great structure for writing uh when you like create the rules of the world of, of the story world but um with apocalyptic stuff you can like this show is happening in new york and new york is still there and it's you know you still have to live by the rules of society and stuff like that but like apocalypse stuff you can just like you can create your own rules you can establish what's important or you don't have to do anything like Mad Max. Mad Max, there is like, there's literally nothing. There's, there's no rules at all. And it's still just a, a classic movie. People were obsessed with it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to just to, I guess, piggyback on my earlier point, when the Cold War was happening, there was so much apocalyptic fiction, um, so many apocalyptic movies. And, you know, most of them had to do with the bomb. What was that was- miniseries on ABC? There was a big, right? There was a big miniseries oh. that was like event TV. I don't remember. There was something. Uh, this is I not know good. what you're talking about. This is not good podcast audio. The morning after? Uh, anyway. I, maybe. Maybe. But, but yeah, people, people were absolutely obsessed with it. And one of, I think, the big reasons to tell the story was here's how we survive. That seems to be the point of most of the apocalyptic fiction that I can think of is here's how we survive. And sometimes it's, you know, sometimes there are absurdities attached to the institutions that survive. Like there's a pretty famous science fiction novel called uh, A Canticle for Leibowitz in which future Catholic church is looking to make uh, a gentleman named Leibowitz into a saint, right? The joke, of course, being that Leibowitz is Jewish um but that's you know it was just like and this is how we'd survive if the 
church continued as an institution past um, the apocalypse. Even, you know, like the stand, which is basically just let's let's talk about let's do straight up good and evil. Here's you know that that conflict. Most of the book is getting really the good guys because the bad guys seem to have kind of locked down what they needed from civilization. But most of the book is getting the good guys to a place where they now have the energy to worry about the bad guys. And I I think a lot of it was to try to be like, here's a big scary thing. If it happens, humanity's not done. We're going to continue to move forward. So that's what I think. Again, I'm just going to end everything with that's what I think. No, that's great. I think it's a very human component to storytelling. You know, you automatically are rooting for the humans to survive. And so no matter what, what's considered important, it gives the audience a place, to, something to care about. You know, not yeah. every word that comes out means something because it's all about survival. Comedy-wise, that's the fun part. <laughs> you know, we know you might like so your man's gonna survive but like you know what so like what's next yeah usually in the in the scene it's not in in sketches it's not that the apocalypse is upon us though one of the sketches we'll talk about it's like upon us it's usually the apocalypse has happened and so now what's happening and that's where you have the freedom that's where you have the sandbox to do whatever you want to do with it and so, Julian, you, you've you written a, a post-apocalyptic sketch that Bad Medicine's performed a number of times, um, dating in the post-apocalyptic hellscape, which is basically about a motivational speaker trying to give dating advice after the apocalypse. So can you talk about how you kind of generated that idea and what your process was as you created that and what you were thinking? Yeah, definitely. Um, so... Uh my wife and I, we watched like a, we watched a ton of um, sci-fi stuff and um, it always kind of like kind of bugged me a little bit where like um, you'd be, you'd be watching one episode and these two characters are, you know, they're just, they're just, they're doing their thing or whatever. And then the next episode or the next season, they're suddenly together. They're in a relationship like um, in walking dead Michonne and um, oh, Rick. that guy, Rick. Yeah. Michonne, all of a sudden, all like, like, we, like one season, ended next season they're like in a whole relationship and like they're like you know and then the next season they're having a baby or something like that and it's just like like how like how did we get to I that hope point? everybody's like, caught up because yeah here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my whole thing was just like I, I got like what like what's the dating process like you know if i i saw my wife and we were in a, the post-apocalypse i'm just like you know i'm like hey she's you know she's really pretty i want to go and talk to her you know like like what so like how, how do you court someone in the post in like post apocalyptic world, and so that's what that came from. <laughs> well, and I I think that's one of the great things about apocalyptic writing or like approaching apocalyptic sketches is that you can basically take any institution and try and say, well, what would it be like after the apocalypse? So yeah. whether it's dating, whether it's going to the shop, going to the doctor, like any of those things. That's like a really easy, like, okay, I've got a template now that I can then say, okay, I'm going to put an apocalypse filter on this. And how does this change the interaction? And that's like a great, you know, if people are out there and they want to write an apocalypse sketch, that's a great place to start. 
think about a normal interaction and then say, what does that look like after the apocalypse? Right. I like how in your sketch, Julian, how, you know, the economy of that universe is kind of explained, you know, where you're like, how much clean milk is this going to cost me to, to buy this book? You know? And it's like, clean milk is, is an, is a part of the economy. Like, you know, it kind of hints at a bigger world, a bigger universe. And it's just, talking about someone being able to buy something and what you need to use to buy that. And I, lo- and I like that joke because it's something you, you understand, but also like brings up other funnier questions in your head when you hear it. That's also the one thing that's like, when you build out the story world, you can just leave little nuggets of things. And to me, what's important, and we talked about this earlier, but what's, what's important is like, the apocalypse has happened, like what do we do now? And then like also leaving that mystery of like what, what actually happened in the sketch i say like there's a there's a great flash and then wiped out two-thirds of the world's population and so it's like what was the flash like what like what caused that was it a solar flare or was it like man-made or does, we don't know and also it doesn't matter because like because yeah. right we have to live now so listeners will we be sharing a clip of julian's sketch probably not <laughs> There may be audio of it somewhere. Yeah. We'll all listen. rights all rights reserved. Well, let's uh let's get into some sketches then. Uh let's talk about uh let's talk about a sketch that we've actually already talked about on the show once before. It yep. was at least a year ago. Oh uh, yeah, I think it was more than that. It was one of the earlier sketches. Yeah. yeah but let's like talk about ago. Human Giants Morning Zoo. Let's move on. All right, let's move on then to uh, Breastman out on the street trying to find the world's most mutated breast. Uh-uh. Breastman, where are you at? Well, get ready to go outdoors. Here I go. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Breastman is out there in the nuclear holocaust. Breastman, what do you see? Oh, God, this is terrible. Hey, Bretzman, are you, are you touching yourself or what? What's going on? Uh, you know, I bet he's out there just masturbating. Aww. I think that's why he left the bunker, because he needed to masturbate, and he couldn't do it with us in here. Guys, shut up. This is serious. There are people swarming all over me. I'm getting attacked. Oh, oh man, I wish I could get attacked. In bed. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Guys, Barry. Oh, Barry. So, Seth, I believe you brought this sketch to us last time. Do you want to kind of give us some context for it? Uh, yes, it, it is the adventures of a morning zoo crew after an unnamed apocalypse. And it is... It is named. It is. Oh, it is? What yeah, is it? A, a, a North Korean nuclear attack. Oh, it wasn't a North Korean nuclear attack. There we go. It's been... All right. I forgot about that point. <laughs> Topical. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... And again, the absurdity that I like so much is that it is a morning zoo crew doing morning zoo things, continuing on as though everything were normal. And I want to say that that element of it, uh, because we're still in the middle of the pandemic, sort of hits a lot harder right now because of what was considered an essential business, what wasn't considered an essential business, like who tried to keep going as though nothing were happening, that kind of thing. 
but yes, that is that is I think the the necessary background to understand what we're talking about in this sketch. That is weird because because I, I listened to the uh, the Mitchell and Webb one. Like it's like hits like a little bit harder because like we're like kind of going through something. Yeah. <laughs> so like it just made it kind of like it just made it for me it just made it funnier. Yeah, I think one of the you know the great things about this, and I love kind of like parodying drive time radio stuff. Um, I think it's, I think it's really fun because it's, that tickles like, fancy. it, it allows, no, it, it allows you to do such extreme parody because morning zoo kind of radio shows are already absurd. And so you get this like built in level of, okay, the baseline of what people are expecting is absurd. So how big can I go with that? And I think you've really got that. Um, like what I talked about earlier, though, the things that I really love in this sketch and what I think are the funniest jokes are the the little quiet moments when they're kind of like semi-understanding what's going on or reflecting on the fact that like, oh, yeah, he was a, he would have been right downtown where the blast was. He's, he's definitely gone. Yeah. <laughs> And like those, and then obviously they've got a little button on it. Like whole time I was thinking about breasts. Um, yeah. And like that, that's funny. That's a great joke. But my favorite are those like, basically those little sad comments. That's what's making me laugh the hardest in there because that's those moments of when you're, when the whole wall is painted with absurdity yeah. and you see this little moment of non-absurdity, that becomes the funny thing. There's yeah. your turn, your twist on the head. That's definitely what they were going for, for sure. Yeah. Um, those are the jokes, really. Like, the one lady's like, when, when um, Rob people was being attacked by a, a bunch of people, it's just like, wish that were me. But then the reality sets in, and those, those moments were like bit. reality. It yeah. was a good bit. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like reality sets in, and you're just like, oh, shit. Like, I, I, said, I said it in, um, in the podcast earlier uh, that we did for where it's just like, Oh, we got these T-shirts. We can, they're made in China, so you know they're good. And then they're like, "Yo, everyone in China is dead." <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea so, where that's a good point. Where the the joke isn't the crazy thing that's being said. The joke is the same thing that's being said because the subject matter is so crazy. Like you said that. The only way to tell the joke is to break the absurdity of it by going the opposite direction. Instead of having a normal world and letting everyone just say crazy things and that's the laugh, that's the punchline, it's the opposite. And, you know, and I think a lot of times this comedy is so based on two contrasting things, um, highs, lows, you know, excess and least, you kind of, that, that's the only place it could go is yeah. that it had to, you had to humanize it and be like them reflecting on what was lost is, is again so human that you can you understand what they're talking about and you feel it and you could either be sad or, or laugh <laughs> and those are the two emotions that, that are being pulled on. I, yeah, yeah, that, that that's a great point. Like so, com so much of comedy is like going up, 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 and so it's hard to like sort of just like start bringing stuff down you know like 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 writing something that's kind of like really upsetting or depressing is extremely hard but like just i think that's why like setting it in like a um post-apocalyptic shock jock kind of setting <laughs> you're able to like have more fun by bringing it down yeah no yeah. absolutely
Yeah, to the 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 real moments. Yeah. Well, all right. What, what was the uh, the best joke for each people for each uh, for each of us in the sketch? What was your favorite joke in the sketch? Oh, I think I already said it already. Just that it was it was a good bit. It was a good bit. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would go with that one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think I've said that now a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> when Isaiah's pitching a sketch and it doesn't play well in the writer. Yeah. Every sketch. Just crying in front of a bathroom mirror. <laughs> uh, my my favorite actually is just I I love that I love that for sure because like you're just trying to justify what you said while someone just like I don't know but it was, that was funny um, but I thought like Rob Hewell getting mauled was pretty funny I think like, basically oh sorry Julian no I'm sorry and then yeah just 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 like the uh, the aftermath of that was, was funny I think for me, it's anytime Aziz Ansari is like quiet and serious about what's going on. It's like, those, those are what was, I just said it, but that's what was making me laugh. And I just love seeing that. And I know obviously as his stand up and has evolved and things like that, he's become more serious. But if you think about like early Aziz Ansari stand up, like there was like his first special has 15 or 20 minutes of that Randy character. Oh yeah. And like, it's just like, it's, he was, he's so much like, but to have him be kind of this more subdued character that would make that's what made me laugh the most isaiah i was gonna go with that it's a good bit oh that's right that's right you said that all right well let's keep that in mind in this sketch in mind when we rate things it's the first time we've ever rated five sketches in an episode but let's Mm. talk about another sketch let's talk about key and peel's white zombies What is that? They seriously wouldn't let her eat us. Hey, guys. Isn't this great? These racist zombies are leaving us alone. Come on, we having a party. The beer is here. Who wants to introduce this sketch? Anybody? I don't think it should be me. Given, oh, given, given, given the social circumstances, does anyone want to? No, I mean, it's basically, you know, they're running for their lives. It's the zombie breakout. Everyone's thanks, dying. Uh, thanks for taking the lead, Isaiah. I, I yeah. too, <laughs> no but, problem. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it turns out that none of the zombies are attacking black people. They're actually afraid of black people. And... You know, it turns out that the black people are having cookouts and celebrating and living their best lives and are safe from all of this. Finally. And I think it's, I, I like it because they, they get offended first that the zombies don't want to attack them. Yeah. And they're like locking the door to their cars. <laughs> With the broken window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what? And then it's pretty, it goes from being like, you know, offended to like, let's celebrate and, and, have, and have fun with it. Um, they do a couple other end of the world sketches where a guy gets bit and so they have to decide to shoot him or not shoot him um, because he's going to turn into a zombie. And so they shoot him and then it turns out he was bitten by a raccoon and he wasn't actually bitten by a zombie. He would... So like they do other stuff. I thought that one, and since they tend to take, you know, a very funny horror and racial element together, um, I thought that was just a very you know, a good example of the kind of comedy they bring. And I hadn't seen it before someone do that. And I thought it was funny. 
Well, and we've talked about it before on the show many times, the, the close relationship between comedy and horror. And you can definitely see like why Jordan Peele has become like the auteur horror creator mm-hmm. right now. I think just like the DNA is there in sketches like this. Uh, one of the things I uh, really enjoyed about this sketch is just, I think it's that when they first run into the other black guy uh, who, and just like, how how just cool and casual he is just like this is great like this is fine like, yeah. yeah it's totally fine and um in the actually the beat right before that when the little girl zombie oh, yeah. goes after them well yeah. the parents hold her back it's kind of that like it's this great twist on that trope of like no one's born racist like racism is learned and it's like yeah. well even the zombies are teaching their daughter yeah so I I I, I want to talk about my I think Racism. my my less the less fraught thing that I noticed about this first and is what's interesting to me is that this was also a point that George Romero was trying to make in Night of the Living Dead. It it he did it the opposite way, but uh, one of the, I, it's been so long since I've seen it, I don't remember any character names. But one of the main characters is is a black guy who makes it all the way through the film, only to get shot by a bunch of white people because there are a bunch of zombies around. Like he's not moving like a zombie. He's not doing anything like that, but he does get shot at the, at the end of the movie. Um, so obviously like they're making the point in the opposite way that Romero was making it, but yeah, R- Romero did a lot with that movie. He, yeah, he, he really did. Um, but I thought that that was an interesting, it, it, like the, the connection that I guess <laughs> racism has with zombie horror that at least we that at least shows up in, in a couple of different places. Well, um, I think it's about the other. Yeah, it's, it definitely is, and yeah, it's it's like it's like it, no matter how you break it down, it's always about like like economically, like if like poor people versus you know rich people, or you know one race versus another race. Zombie movies always kind of well, not always, but they like have a lot of that element. Yeah. And the, and the point the earlier in, ones, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. And the, the point in both that one and this one is that black people are still being treated as the other. It's yeah. just in Key and Peel, it's got a it's got a happy resolution. <laughs> it's it's a good thing. <laughs> that last beat of the zombie trying like crawling out of the cookout, like yeah, we like he's got this great like he looks terrified, but his face is also mangled. Yeah, made acting from that extra. Well, um, that but- was that was also one of the things about you mentioned uh, Isaiah. The I think, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I won't say exactly what I was going to say. But you mentioned the bit with the dude rolling up the window, like in the, the zombie rolling up the window in the car when Keenan Peel get yeah, close. He, he, he locked the door and he then, locked the door, but, but, and but the window uh, was but the window was broken. So he's yeah. like, yeah, I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. So but even he, he also, reaches in and the zombie recoils. Yeah, he just looks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> The other thing that I, I'm afraid I'm going to mention, and Annie, I'm going to give you some space, so if you want to cut what I'm about to say, you could do it. Uh, but <laughs> when you're making oh a point and it's undercut by your casting, uh, because basically the first person with any lines in this sketch is anti-Semitic shithead Kevin Sorbo. What? Okay, so oh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know that. Like, I didn't so. know that either. I didn't. Yeah. I, I'm. I wouldn't be surprised, but I didn't yeah. know that as well. I don't even know who Kevin Sorbo is. Hercules, man. 
Was he Which like one? Was he openly anti-Semitic, or was it known that he was anti-Semitic before they shot this? Which would have uh, it been in might not the, so? the incident that I'm referring to. I think might have happened after they shot this. Uh, I don't know what year it is. It's uh, season oh, two, Renegade, season two, episode six. So I don't, I don't know what year that is. Yeah, but there's, uh, there's an, there's a, um, for, for context, everybody. <laughs> There's a, he's getting interviewed and I don't know whether it's on the radio or on a podcast or whatever, but he's getting interviewed and uh, he refers to uh, the Jews as uh, the people who killed Christ. So, yeah. So it's like, yeah, that's. Uh, so 20, so this would have aired in probably 2013. This and episode. I think the interview was maybe about a year afterward. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think that that's an important point, but like, I, I think it's hard to fault key and peel necessarily for that yeah i mean it's 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 tough to, i mean they also like he does die though and he does i mean there's that that, that <laughs> i i didn't mind seeing that at all um, but uh yeah it's just um it's 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 something that comes up for me now when i see oh, that guy doing well, stuff. that's fair yeah. well, that's fair and I will say props to them for their production value on their videos, especially this one. Like it really does look like end of the world zombie attack. You oh know? yeah. Oh. And they really do get that look and feel down and having kind of like a hero guy come in um, yeah. and, and kind of set that tone and then immediately start breaking it apart um, really helps sell the sketch. Yeah. It's kind of like the scream thing. The big name is gone immediately yeah. like um uh, one of the things i like about this sketch uh and it's uh, uh, there are two sketches that we'll talk about like this it's short the sketch is like two minutes and 30 oh seconds. yeah which is rare for them it's like hey we told our joke there's not a whole lot we can actually do with it like yeah you could have like had conversations about the cookout about each one's individual experiences but that's not really adding to the sketch that's just yeah. padding it yeah it's actually um, why i don't like the sketch Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like it's a fun concept. It's it's only one beat. There's maybe two jokes, right? Maybe two. Like, like so, like the one lady that comes up to my first, they're like, "Oh, okay, well, that's weird. She's not attacking me." And then, like, they suddenly realize that the the zombies are racist. It just like it doesn't it, it doesn't heighten anything. When when they first realize that uh, the zombies aren't attacking them because of their their race. Uh, I'm just like, cool, let's just like hang out. Like, like, let's just like, let's just go do whatever we fucking want. And then it happens. Like, yeah, like, yeah, we're just going to go fucking have a barbecue. And like, that's the end of the sketch. And so like, it, to me, like, I'm like, I have so many questions. It's like, um, like, like, does the premise have any legs to go anywhere else? I have notes here. Hold on. What are the other zombies of other races, of, of, of other cultures doing? Are white people like racist to them too? Are there black zombies? And what are the black zombies doing? It, it, it seems like it's just like a really, I don't know. Also like, like if, if there are black zombies or like other you know, uh, races or creeds and you know, religions and stuff like that, how are they interacting? And how are they interacting with the living? So, like, is, like, so are, are the white zombies afraid of black zombies? I don't know. So like, I, I feel like there's like just more jokes that could be like honed in there. But also in like at, in the writers' room, they're probably just like, "Yeah, it's a great idea. Let's 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 just not like overthink it." Yeah, I was gonna say, I wonder if that's yeah. asking like almost too much of the sketch. Because right. Yeah. I think I it's mean. perfectly fine to have a 
self-contained like this is a one joke thing it's tough on tv to do this is the closest thing on tv you get to a blackout sketch like right that's a good it's point. basically one one big joke told well through a couple small jokes and then that's it and i i think that's refreshing because you know you watch snl and it's it's kind of like it's it's a relief when you're watching it on youtube it's like oh man this sketch is only going to be like four minutes that's crazy because like you know there's so many long sketches and I am guilty as hell of this, of writing long sketches that I really enjoy when it's just like, Hey, we, we know the joke, we know it works. Bing, bang, boom. We don't need to fill out the rest of the world because that's right. not so, important to what the, it could have been a runner. Is. Yeah. It, um, like, could have been a runner. It, it could have been a runner or like, like, or they just, they, they just, just like just stopped after they realized the zombies are racist. Like, just like, as, as soon as they realize the zombies are racist, that's it. We, like, we didn't need to see, like, in what ways they're, like, like, like we, we didn't need to see, like, the guy locking the door. Although, that was a great joke. If they had just did that joke and then got out of there. I feel like they went on a little maybe too long, actually. Interesting. Because you know what I was thinking when we were talking about this, specifically, Julian, when you said, does the premise have legs? It would have been interesting to see them do, like a Romero-esque trilogy where you've got three sketches linked and maybe the last one is what happens now that the U.S. is no longer mostly run by white people. It's everybody else trying to figure out how they're going to deal with the remaining zombies in this post-apocalyptic world. I think that would have been kind of fun. Yeah. I but, mean, there's, there's so many, there's so many things like, like what if like zombies decided to have their own Confederate state or something like that? Something like that. Yeah. Or, no, not like, the, or, or, or the, like what, what if, what, what if the black people just gave them their own state and it's a Confederate state? Utah. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. But like, it's a, uh, but the, the, again, that, right. That's, there's, there's so many things that there's so many fun things you can do that I feel like uh, it wasn't their intention. They were just like, let's just do this. It's a, like the premise is good as is. Like the, the premise is the joke. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like, I feel like if they weren't going to do anything else with it, just make it shorter. First times can be awkward for everything, including comedy. So why not look back at a comedy writer's first attempt at making an audience laugh? From Philly Sketchfest, have a listen to My First Sketch, the podcast introducing you to sketch comedians from around the world, starting with their first sketch. Hosted by me, Josh Hyam, we'll explore how a writer got started, what shaped their sense of humor, and where they go from here. Check out My First Sketch at myfirstsketch.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, next up we have from Saturday Night Live, Wake Up and Smile from season 21. Uh which was in 1995. Uh, does anyone want to introduce this sketch? Why don't you I'll introduce it? I will introduce this sketch. Okay. Fair okay. enough. Uh, so this sketch is uh, Steve, uh, excuse me, uh, Nancy Carell, Nancy Walls, Steve Carell's wife, and Will oh, Ferrell. What? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that until today. Yeah, I believe they were even married at the time that she was on I the forgot. show. forgot. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, she also she plays Michael's realtor didn't. on The Office. Yeah, that's true. She got the show and he didn't. Um, that's okay. He got to no, be on I mean, the Harvey show. Um, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so they, uh, uh, Nancy Carell and Will Ferrell are kind of morning Today Show-esque 
hosts for local for Phoenix, I believe it was. And the uh, David Allen Greer is the weatherman, and the teleprompter breaks, and chaos ensues. Now I understand you've got some cooking tips for us, Diane. I understand you've got some cooking tips for us, Diane. I understand you've got some cooking tips for us, Diane. I understand you've got some cooking tips for us, Diane. I um, I it it looks like we're having some problems with the prompter here. <laughs> the uh, the teleprompter on which everything we say appears on is broken. Okay. Please, let's get that teleprompter yes. fixed. Uh, we're, we're having what is known in the business as technical times right now. Uh, well, well let's go to Ta Tom Bulcher with the weather. Josh, hi, am. Uh, my first sketch uh, suggested this sketch as a, a good one. I think yeah. it approaches the topic of end of the world in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no, the whole sketch is about societal breakdown. Um, it's just more Lord of the Flies. Than yeah, that's is. exactly what came to mind. Lord yeah. of the Flies. Yeah. Um, a favorite, this is just a super random thing. What I really love is that they introduce the sketch. Or they introduce them as being like based in Phoenix. And then when they go to the weatherman, he gives the weather in the northeast of the country and the southeast of the country and nothing close to Phoenix. Yeah. And <laughs> I found that really, really funny. Um, <laughs> but that's one of those jokes that's probably like just for me. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's what I feel like that's a lot of this sketch is like um, where it's like they they definitely hit jokes for just like certain people. There's so many like like, like the commercials. What are the commercials? So like, who is that for? Like why it doesn't do anything to move the sketch forward? But like just it works. Putting like <laughs> tomato sauce on bread like it's jam and then yeah. eating it. That's really fun. Yeah, the, like, the commercials, yeah. Kind of classic parody of 90s sitcoms of like he's got too many pots to put away <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i think actually that the the commercials are there not only they i think they serve a couple of purposes one is they heighten the absurdity of what's going on because it's again let's pretend that everything's normal when everything is clearly not the other thing it does um sort of technically is it gives us space for the breakdown to accelerate without us yeah. having to see the breakdown accelerate, right? That's a really good call. Cut yeah. away for a second, and then we come back, and things are multiple times worse. Time skip, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a really good thought. It allows for that yeah. time skip. Yeah. And it's really great. I think it's the really, I think one of the things that's great about the sketch is it's such a simple thing. Uh, and you can see shades of Anchorman. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Immediately, yeah. It's immediately what it's I thought of as Will Ferrell is just reading the same line on the teleprompter over and over again. That yeah. is obviously like a major plot point in Amster in Anchorman in Amsterdam. Jesus. Yeah. When he says like, uh, "Fuck you, Sandy." Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got our adult rating. That's great. <laughs> but I think it's that kind of your classic, classic one making fun of these kind of shows that like. They're like can't handle not being on the teleprompter, and two that a teleprompter breaking results ultimately in the murder of David Allen Greer by Will Ferrell's own hands. Like mm -hmm. 
that's a graphic. Yeah, scene. very yeah. graphic. Yeah, it was. very, very graphic. I was like, whoa. And he's drinking from the head too afterwards yeah. after he's decapitated him. It's it's a little extreme. They don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, and this might have been Will Ferrell's first season too. Oh, nice. Ninety five might have been his first. Oh season. yeah, 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 yeah. Because I don't think he overlapped with people who were in a ninety four. Or when did I, it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. Yeah. I think this is Will Ferrell's first season. I also loved, we've been doing this for 20 years and those people, the actors oh, yeah. are clearly in their twenties or thirties. Like, yeah. yeah. I love that. Cause it like, it establishes like the relationship. What obviously they haven't been there for 20 years, but like they've been doing the show for a long time. And so when the prompter breaks down and like, uh, they they can't even remember each other's names. Like they they actually actually don't even know each other's names. Yeah. The the, the prompter like tells them what these each other's names are. Yeah. Um, which I, I mean, know that's, a, that's the whole joke though. Yeah. They don't have that, and so because of that, they like, you know, it all spirals out of control. Um, one thing I did find while I was doing research about all this is Saturday Night Live does not have a lot of end of the world sketches, and I wonder if there's a reason behind that. Um, I found maybe a couple more that were parodies of The Walking Dead or other things that kind of played on that. But a lot of it, there was not real. This is one of the closest ones to where like the world has ended or is ending and X happens or or like the universe is coming, coming to an end and you kind of get that Lord of the Flies look. Uh, Chris White of the DC Improv suggested Last Man on Earth with uh, John Lovitz and Gina Davis from season 14, but I couldn't find it anywhere. Because hmm. not every season of Saturday Night Live is available on streaming, which should be fixed because that's crazy. You get like the first eight seasons and then it jumps to like season 40 or 35. Oh, so wow. you've missed that huge chunk in the middle. So I couldn't find it otherwise. Um, so if you do have access to that somewhere, please send it to me or tell me where, where you find these things online because I'm interested in seeing that. But do you think there's a reason why they don't do any of the world sketches? Do you think someone upstairs hates that stuff? Or if there's a... I think the show's like been a, going on for so long. that may, it, it, The only thing I think is that Lauren wouldn't like it. Otherwise, there's no one who's yeah. been at NBC longer than Lauren Michaels who's been saying, hey, don't do this. I, I, think it's, I think it's just happenstance that, you know, some people... Maybe it's just, like, general interest. And, like, you know, we talk about stuff... You know, we'll watch sketches, whether it's on this show or just in our regular lives and share them with each other and see, like, this wouldn't make it through the bad medicine writer's room because that's just like not the kind of thing that plays well in our writer's room. And as much as the SNL writer's room has changed over 45 years, I'm sure there are still some things that are like, this just doesn't play well in an SNL writer's room. So it could be something like like, like a sort of a, a legacy ban, if you will, like it didn't, it didn't fly starting in 1982 and as everybody cycles through the writer's room and learns through the old, from the older writers, it's just a sort of accepted fact that apocalyptic sketches don't play well. I don't know if, it, if it's like they don't play well or not. I think, I think it's just the, like people who are writing sketches and stuff like that. I, like, like, is it on the forefront of their minds or something like that? In the years that we've uh, been uh, watching comedy and performing comedy and seeing other performers perform and going to other stages and stuff like that, how many apocalyptic, how many apocalyptic stuff have you seen? I remember one show in Philly. We did Philly Sketch Fest. Yeah. This one troupe, it was an all-female troupe, and they were really great. And they did- the Barbara Bush? 
That was Barbara Bush. I feel like yeah. that was Barbara Bush. Yeah. Where they, they, so I, I remember one that stuck out to me particularly was um, a, uh, um, a Girl Scout troop leader. The apocalypse happened and she, was, she just happened to be, it, it was a monologue actually, which was even more brilliant. So the, the, the apocalypse happened and she just happened to be with her troop at the time. So they've been living together, I guess, in the woods. Like, so she, she established all of that within like a few, like, a few lines. And so like she, the main issue was that like someone was stealing the, <laughs> the Girl Scout cookies. Like one kid was like eating all the Girl Scout cookies or something and like replacing them with like, uh, like uh, leaves or foliage or something like that. And she was really upset. <laughs> Imagine establishing all of that within like six lines. I just don't know if people are thinking that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's true. I think of all the shows that we've gone to, and have seen in live, you're right, you don't see that. Maybe I'm thinking because SNL was around for the Cold War, maybe, you know, if we go watch those years, maybe there was more of that present, you know? Or like, that had just ended, so let's not talk about that anymore. And they've kind of like veered away from that. And we really haven't had something that felt like the end of the world in society since really this, you know? where like this really changed globally. It wasn't like one country was deeply affected or two countries. It was like globally, we were all like tense. And so, you know, yeah. there's, yeah. you know, the sets and else teams to mimic the modern times so closely. There was no reason to rate those. It will be interesting to see what happens next season, assuming yes. they're back to doing live sketches, if their writing is more informed by this. Yeah, um, and so there are maybe more sketches like that. But let's move on to our fourth sketch. Four out of five. All right. It's We're only on four? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you were the one who asked before we started recording whether we could go off on stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and we're still only spending about 10 minutes a sketch, so... <laughs> We can spend less, I'm sure. No, no, no. We've got to get into the British ones now. Yeah, it's um, time to talk about the British ones. All right, here we go. Uh, from uh, everybody knows it's my favorite, that Michelin web look, remain indoors. Uh, I'll introduce this one again. It's a quiz broadcast. It is quite literally called the quiz broadcast that happens after the event. Uh, it's being broadcast on the British Emergency Broadcasting System, and it's essentially um, a game show parody. Oh, good evening and remain indoors. <laughs> this is the quiz broadcast coming to you every Friday, the same day as your food parcels. <laughs> so chow down on a protein fudge, take whatever injections are recommended in your sector, and prepare to enjoy the show! <laughs> Well, it's between 600 and 750 days since the event, but that hasn't stopped those of us that survive from enjoying ourselves. So let's remain indoors and say hello to our contestants. Hi there. Hello. Hey. <sighs> That's the spirit, unknown male 282. So let's get on with the game. I love this sketch, actually. It was really good. And so, like, but, because also, it, like, it was a game show sketch, but it wasn't, though. No. There, there was three contestants. They only asked, like, two questions. And um, <laughs> Again, it's like, this is like two minutes yeah. and 15 seconds. This yeah, is a recurring right, yeah. sketch. They do it four yeah, or five times. Yeah. 
Uh, okay. Oh, it's a, oh, I didn't know it was a runner. Okay, okay. Uh, not in the same uh, episode. Over the course of four seasons, they do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Number Wing. Yeah. Number, yeah, it was exactly like Number Wing. Number Wing, Dig, uh, Digby Chicken Caesar. They've got a lot of yeah. recurring sketches. <laughs> Digby Chicken I, 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 I love the opening, like before the sketching starts, like the, the, the opening, they, they have like the, um, I guess for American television, there was like that, that thing when like um, in the 50s when the, uh, they'd go off the air, they'd have that picture of like a Native American with that hairdress or whatever. They had that too in this, and it just said, help me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, it's just like, they, they, they do so many like little things. That, that, so that's, that, again, like that's what I love so much about like, well, well at, least, at least the things that I'm drawn to in um, apocalyptic comedy or just um, the apocalypse in general is like, we know something happened, but like we're trying to get on with it. And so like, this is like, this is like the, the we're, we're trying to be normal. We're trying to do the normal thing, but there's also like, it's like the new normal. <laughs> so like the, uh, so like, so that having that, the, the help me thing, I was just like, yo, that's just next level, man. <laughs> and also uh, one contestant is unknown male 282. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what like, is this is like, it's, like, it, it's just, I know it's just like, it's just like something they just like threw together. And also, like the, the the constant the constant lines of just saying like stay at home, <laughs> remain, yeah, indoors. remain indoors, <laughs> yeah, remain indoors, yeah, remain indoors. Like that's so fucking funny. I, I honestly like if, if if there was like one part, so I didn't know it was a runner, but if there's one part of the runner, we would find out like they the, the like the everyone that works on this show, like and even the contestants, like have to like they, they have to shelter in place in the studio. <laughs> yeah, that's so, the whole thing. They never leave the studio. Yeah. Oh shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I need to watch this shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I was. I was going to say that one of my favorite things is the. Um, it. <clears throat> it hasn't been that long since the event. Yeah. It's six hundred to seven seven hundred fifty days. It's been about two years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And apparently they have lost most knowledge of everything that happened before the event. <laughs> exactly. Like the 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 two questions that they ask in the category of things. One is like they show a picture. <laughs> Before the event, it was believed that this leader was called, and <laughs> you know it's nobody I recognized. And yeah. then the, the woman contestant says a name, and she's right. And then he goes, "Of the three of Shakespeare's plays we have remaining, which is believed <laughs> to be prophetic about the event? Is it Pericles, Cymbeline, or Boeing, Boeing?" And for those of you who don't know, <laughs> Pericles and Cymbeline belong in the not performed very much category of Shakespeare and Boeing Boeing is obviously not one of his. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought I knew, I knew Boeing Boeing was wrong. But it's like Pericles and Cymbeline are essentially right. third tier Shakespeare. I knew Pericles was right. I wasn't, I wasn't sure about the other one. Yeah, but, uh, and then just to keep going with that, the woman contestant asks, is it a trick question? And when told yes, she screams in horror and runs <laughs> off the set. <laughs> And then David Mitchell's, and there's a bit about, if we all have memories of the event. Yes, memories that occurred during the night. <laughs> I love that line. This is yeah. amazing. Uh, yeah, this is another one, really short, but as we said, it's a runner. I, I realize I'm repeating myself. So do you consider this a game show sketch? Like in the typical sense of game show? 
Um, kind I think of, you have to. Like, the game is weird. The world is weird. The contestants are also weird. Like, who's the straight man in this? Is there a straight man? The straight, straight man is our expectation of yeah. the game show. Um, we are. They, I would say Mission Web do the best at game show shit. Where because like even Number Wang was like you know like like I always say like it's, it's like either the, the the show is weird, the show is represented by the uh, host, or the um, which is the world. The world is weird, or the um, contestants are weird. And even in Number Wang, like everyone just accepts like the entire weirdness of the world. So, so basically, like, what, what they're saying is, like, we're weird by thinking this is weird. They, yeah. they, they basically like, throw it back on us. And I, it's, it's, it's so cool how they do that. No, I think it's, it's exceptionally well done. And it is a fun recurring one. You do get a little more about kind of, it's, it's more of that how has all knowledge disappeared kind of questions. Um, a lot more about Robert Webb and his, like, being blind um blinded by the event uh and i the the grand prize is like a pile of old chair legs uh, yeah. fuel uh, fuel yeah yeah which is great also um, like the one contestant was like it, was he blind or was he just like he, he is blind it's it's established oh, okay. later on that he is blind he was blinded by the event um but. so like that, that's the, that's the fun thing that you can do too with like if you're thinking about writing um, apocalypse sketches or even just like actually it's just writing in general, what you choose to reveal. Yeah. You could just have so much fun with just revealing certain things like, yeah, the, the <laughs> forgotten knowledge. Like that's, that's a fun, that's, that's super fun. It doesn't matter like what you set it in. It's just, you know, even with the, uh, the Philly sketch fest, uh, Timo trip that I was talking about, they like the things they choose to reveal. You know, like it's a Girl Scout troop and it's the apocalypse and like they're still she's still trying to do like Girl oh, Scout perfect. things. <laughs> but like revealing like different parts of like what happened, like what about the world they're living in right now. And uh, I think that's really cool. This podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for info about live shows, workshops, and t-shirts for people who love comedy. Let's move on to our next sketch. It's from Beyond the Fringe, and it's called The End of the World. And why don't we throw to our resident Beyond the Fringe <laughs> expert, Seth, to introduce this sketch. Well, folks, it's a cult meeting. That's what we're dealing with here. There is a cult. They are oh, meeting <laughs> in preparation for the end of the world. Uh, and apparently the cult leader is getting tired of being asked the same questions. <laughs> and will there be a mighty wind? Certainly there will be a mighty wind. If the word of God is anything to go by. Well, it's wind, be so mighty as to lay low the mountains of the earth. Can't hear a blind word you say. You're speaking too softly for the human ear, which is what I'm equipped with. You'll have to speak a little more loudly, please. About this wind. It's no better, is it? 
Um, and I want to say, in this particular version, this is the Secret Policeman's Ball version. I don't know. I don't know which of the Secret Policeman's Balls it is. Uh, Nineteen seventy-nine. Uh, I think that might be the first Secret Policeman's Ball. In this version, Peter Cook is still the cult leader. Obviously, the members of Beyond the Fringe are not there with him, and the part usually performed by Dudley Moore is performed rather brilliantly by Rowan Atkinson. Yeah. Um, who basically, and I hope we can get a clip, who distorts his voice to just <laughs> this side of incomprehensibility. Yeah. <laughs> when he's it's great. When he's asking questions. It's, and, he, and he would have been pretty young at this point, oh, Rowan yeah. Atkinson. Uh, oh, yeah. I think uh, Not the Nine O'Clock News would have just started at this point. I think it started in 78, but... This is so. This is pretty new for Rowan Atkinson to be like. You know, it's like when you know, I was going to make a baseball reference, but no one's going to get it. Um, ah, so, nerds. Never mind. Seventy-eight Reds. <laughs> the seventy. The seventy-five Reds. Um, yeah. No. This is it, the Rowan Atkinson. I think really. Really does so much with this sketch. Another great little touch in this sketch is the costuming. Yeah, that's what I was wearing. Turtlenecks. It's just it's just shirts, right? It's just a shirt. Like shirts pulled over their heads. Yeah, exactly. Like it immediately sells cultist, and it's such a simple, such a simple costuming choice. It's so great. I watched a different one than you guys. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a radio version, right? It's a radio version. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but and there, there's also somebody holding a sign that says "The end is near." Um, oh, and by the way, just a little context on this: the Secret Policeman's uh, Ball balls were variety shows that I believe were formed to raise money for. I think it was UNICEF. This one was for Amnesty International. And Amnesty International. That that's okay. But that, but that's what they were, and it was basically a, a who's who of British comedy at the time would get up and do basically a bunch of their old classic sketches with whomever else they could cast uh, for before a live audience. So nice. Um, and there's some really like there's some really good stuff in in one of the later ones. Cleese and Palin do the parrot shop sketch, except he it stops halfway through Cleese gets a refund turns to the turns to the audience and then says well you can't say thatcher hasn't changed some things and then walks off stage it's but <laughs> uh, well and i you know a great thing about this sketch is that you see these shots of michael palin and john cleese who are like basically just not they're just like background characters yeah yeah and it, it's it's just you know who's doing the sketch at the time i mean of course <laughs> like i think at this at this point in British comedy, Peter Cook was like the the grandfather of yeah. all of the sketch comedy that was happening. So you have to kind of let him do more or less what he wants. But uh, but yeah, I just I really enjoy this sketch because, and this might be my favorite bit, is that the cult leader is taking things so much less seriously than everybody else in his cult. Yeah. Not to the point where like it's he doesn't believe in what's going on. It's just that everybody else is, oh, when will things happen? And he's like, Oh, well, they'll happen when they do. I guess I shouldn't wonder. Don't worry. You know, it's like that kind of Yeah, my well, favorite and, line is like, uh, same thing. He's like someone's like, 
how mighty is the wind? <laughs> it's like the world be will, will, the world will be ruined by a mighty wind. How mighty is the wind? <laughs> and then that that sets up. Rowan Atkinson's character just asks the all he does is ask the question: Will this wind be so mighty as to lay low the mountains of the earth? But it's like two minutes of the sketch. No. <laughs> um, and in this version, I think they really they really play up like the cult leader getting more and more irritated with him, trying to wear this ring, the fire marks. And then he goes through that part, and there's a point where he starts to ask the question for the fourth time. He's like, wear this wind. Yes, we've had that bit. What's <laughs> yeah. Even though technically the end of the world hasn't happened yet. And it they, won't happen. I, it, I, this, it is, won't. this is just like, I don't think this is, it's not like a real end of the world thing. Well, I, I thought, that's why I included it in the lineup because I felt like it kind of lent to that a little bit was it's, it's still about survival in a sense. You know, like what will happen next? Yeah. I've, I thought, try yeah. Try to answer that question. I think it's, I think it's more to me like a subversion of like the doomsday preacher. Yeah. Um, and that kind of the guy, I, there's famously there was like I don't know if he's still there, but like growing up there was a guy in Boston who would always be outside sports events with his like all of these pamphlets handing them out. The, it was like yeah, the oh, same the, guy every time. John three sixteen um, dude. No, 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 no. That oh. that guy. Well, there's a great uh, ESPN uh, thirty for thirty documentary on that dude. Highly recommend it. Um, but no, I, I think it's just kind of that. It 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 also reminded me of the um, the Doomsday Cultists in Parks and Rec. Right at the end of the sketch, there's something like same time tomorrow or something, yeah, like that, and that's the whole thing with like in the Doomsday Cult and Parks and Rec. It's like, well, oh, the math might have been off. I think we reserve it for next year. Um, reserve the park for next year. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's just a that's just a parody of of Doomsday. Like there was there's been a couple of people who have rather famously in the last couple of years predicted the end of the world and then it didn't happen, and they're like, oh, oh uh, next week. Right, uh, I got the I, the math was a little wrong. Yeah, I think that's what's funny about this sketch, though, is that like the cult leader knows nothing's going to happen, <laughs> and so like, so like it's just like sort of perpetuating it, but also like just being like, can you guys just like fuck off for a second? <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's the joke for me. It was like him just trying to like perpetuate it, but also just being like, all right, guys, come on, seriously. Yeah, it's it's he's he the. The effect is that he's a teacher in a room full of third graders and they will not concentrate on what he actually wants to say. Yeah. So does it belong in the lineup then? I think it does. It's, it's yeah. a sketch yeah, yeah. about yeah. the apocalypse. It's not post-apocalyptic, which the other ones have been. Well, yeah. and um, the uh, Saturday Night Live sketch. Saturday Night Live one, it's also not the apocalypse. It's just... It, it's a sort of mini-apocalypse in... But we get to see it happen in real time. You just yeah. made a bad list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Julian. Well, what's the... I have honorable mentions on there. All right, so some honorable mentions. mentions. Let's read through these real quick. Uh, a key and Peel have a couple of them. There's yeah. a zombie attack, uh, alien imposters. As we talked about before, like, Jordan Peel clearly has a, a penchant for these things, a penchant. And so strong kind of uh, DNA of that in Key and Peele. Saturday Night Live, as we talked about, has done some, but not a lot. The Walking Dead, Black or Zombie, Zombie Apocalypse High School, The Group Hopper, 
uh, there's a Monty Python one um, where the Blanc mages, uh, manges, the Blancmanges, yeah, Blancmanges. Yeah. Uh, that was just weird. <laughs> invade with the goal of winning Wimbledon. Uh, but it's, that that is a that is a longer sketch, I think, isn't it? That once, it's like a whole episode. It's a whole episode. Yeah, it's a whole episode. It's about Mister coming and turning everybody Scottish so they could win Wimbledon, and it just yeah. slowly builds up to that, and it's just. It's very yeah. weird. And then the joke is the two people who were dismissed at the beginning of the episode come back and just start eating the and save the day by eating the bones. Yeah. 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 Um, apocalypse beauty routine. A bru- apocalypse beauty routine from Not Your Type. There's also Mad TV. Uh, I don't know the name of the sketch, but it's uh, two black talk show hosts. One of them is Keegan Michael Key. Uh, outline what black people should do in the case of a. Zombie Apocalypse. Yeah, I couldn't find that one as well. As you we mentioned before, John Lovitz and Gina Davis's Last Man on Earth sketch. The entire second season of Future Man is uh, mentioned here. I watched mo- some of the first season of that show, and I didn't really like it that much, so I'm not recommending that. Um, but <laughs> but Pete so Mustard, it recommended that. He said the second season, uh, Pete. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah recommended that he said he, he couldn't think of any sketches he said the whole second season is basically about the end of the world yeah so there's Which, lots of course of this, we didn't watch because none of us wanted to watch an entire season of television <laughs> <laughs> no. God, no. so let's uh let's get to the end of the show then let's do let's some ratings real quick yeah. Yeah, I'm at 10%, so let's do this. Okay all right what's so our scale? real quick uh what's yeah what's our scale does anyone want to throw something out um how, how many quarantine days would you give a sketch? How many quarantine days would we? Is give uh, a lots of days good or? A few yeah, days lots of days is good. Lots of days. Good. days how bad. many days would you quarantine with this sketch? Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do uh, all right. Human giant morning zoo. Seth. Uh, I'm gonna say 100 days of quarantine. 100 days of quarantine. For me, this would be 50 days of quarantine. Isaiah. Okay. I, I give it a, a solid two weeks and then two extra weeks. Two X and then two extra. All right, there we go. Julian? I would quarantine in, in an abandoned convenience store for three days with this sketch. Okay, lots of okay. sex. All right, yeah. It could last longer than three days. Lots of, yeah. Well, uh, exactly. I'm on not Gatorade alone, long, you're good. Yeah, right. I'm not willing to stay that long. All right, Key but. and Peel, <laughs> White Zombies. Uh, Julian, how many, quarant- how many days did you quarantine with this sketch? I would quarantine with this sketch in, I would quarantine one day in a um, hostile prison with this sketch. Yikes. That's uh, uh, the, the, like um, you guys yeah, like the, a major story plot point don't in like the, Dead, I think. So, yeah. You, yeah, exactly. It seems you, like you guys, it'll be a lot harder to survive. Yeah, but, but also it'd be, a lot hard, it'd be a lot hard to get killed by zombies or anything like that. I so. guess that's fair. Yeah. All right, Isaiah? It's um, good. But Julian, like, Julian really talked me out of liking this sketch. Julian's argument against the sketch, like they could have done more with it and maybe have like, what would, what would black people really do if the zombies were only were attacking white people and like exploring that more? So I would only, I would quarantine with this sketch as long as a cookout lasts. Oh, so <laughs> a yeah. A couple hours. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. 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 So I'm uh, willing to quarantine in an hostile prison for this sketch. And he's like, <laughs> I'm just going to do a fucking cookout. <laughs> Uh, for me, it would be, uh, let's see, I don't know, 35, 35 days in quarantine with this sketch. All right. Um, I'll give it 50 days in a well-stocked bunker. 
All right, there you go. Oh, yeah. shit. Okay. Yeah. All right, Saturday Night Live's Wake Up and Smile. I'll go first. I'll give this one 100 days in quarantine. I really, I'll really, i do anything with Will Ferrell for 100 days. Uh, Isaiah? <laughs> I thought it was okay. I give it the standard two, two-week quarantine, 14 days. Nice. Julian? I'm willing to quarantine with this uh, sketch as long as they have me. Like, I will do anything. <laughs> anything. Like? Like if like if I needed to do stuff to stay on the island, I will make a great survivor contestant. Yeah, uh, absolutely. If I needed to, we didn't talk about this stuff? by the way, but that sketch has a little survivor. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Because the the cameramen are obviously watching what's happening. And, uh, yes. I want to learn more about the theology of the hand. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Seth, how many days would you quarantine with this? Oh, gosh. Um, I I would also say I'm going to give this one another uh, 100 days, this time in an abandoned missile silo. Ooh. Very nice. Yeah. All right. uh, That Mitchell and Webb's looks remain indoors. Uh, Isaiah. I would quarantine in this sketch for 100 days in in a very nice Whole Foods. Ooh. All right, I would quarantine with this sketch for, hmm, I think if I'm talking about like all of the sketches together, I'd say like a hundred, all of the um, remain indoors sketches, I'd say like 120 days in the same apartment I've been sitting in for the past. 120 days? I was going to say like 80, <laughs> 90, 85 days, something like Half that. Year. Yeah. Something like that. Seth? Uh, let's see. I, I really like this one. Um, I, I did hit a lot of good uh, notes for me. I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, 150 days on a billionaire's yacht. Ooh, very yeah. nice. Yeah. What kind of billionaire? Uh, any Bezos? kind. Bezos? <laughs> no, Bezos. Like, uh, but like, what Musk. kind of billionaire? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. Uh, I mean, they're all James Bond villains at this yeah, point. Yeah, they really are. That's it. <laughs> Kills billionaires. All he does <laughs> All right, uh, Julian, what would you give this? I would give this sketch. I would I would quarantine with this sketch. So like basically the entire like uh, season of Lost, like the the characters that actually lived in that world through the entire period, the people that made it like like Jack. So Jack and Lost, I will spend that entire time that he spent in that show in that story world. I, right. I would spend that much time. There we oh, go. That's good. All right, and beyond the fringe, the end of the world, Seth, bring us home. I, I do love this sketch. Uh, I'm going to have to say that I would give it six months in a giant flying stone head that's also full of grain. Love it. Yes, that's, by the way, if you haven't watched Zardoz, don't, but look it up. There we go. I would give this, uh, this was my favorite one, uh, let's say 150 days um, on a tropical island. But like with food and stuff, not like yeah. a d- deserted island. Yeah. Isaiah? I, I dig it. I give it two weeks in a McDonald's. Nice. Nice. Got to learn how to operate that fryer. Yeah. Uh, too bad the ice cream machine's broken. <laughs> oh. Uh, Julian? For this sketch, I will quarantine in a trash bag during the, nation- during the, the initial panic. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, that's clear, and I understood what that meant. Um, <laughs> so while people are running around, I'm just gonna like just immediately trash back for 20 minutes, and then and hide from the mighty wind. On, on, uh, yeah, exactly. Hide from the mighty wind until like 
I can see an opening and then I just make a break for it. Well, thank you for joining us for our quarantine edition of Sketch Nerds. It's been a lot of fun. If you'd like to know more about Sketch Nerds, uh, Bad Medicine, or any of the sketches we've talked about today, you can find out more at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. For Seth Alcorn. Yep. Seth, uh, that's right. Oh, that's oh, right. Pitch. Yeah, oh, that's oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Just, I went into if, autopilot. If you'd, if you'd like more of me reviewing things... <laughs> Uh, you're welcome to check out my other podcasts, Arrow, Chapter, and Verse, uh, in which, uh, starting with season two, my co-host Patrick Murphy Donahue and I, and special guests, review episodes of different shows in the Arrowverse and mostly don't like them. And then there's also How I Spent My Allowance, which is a diverse panel of people who are reviewing old D&D books uh, from the 80s. We're currently doing... Um, Ed Greenwood, Spellfire, and the next book we're going to look at is Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman's Dragons of Bottom Twilight. Awesome. I'm a very prominent guest on all of those podcasts. So Julian has never been on it. Julian brings a real (laughs) racial element to it all. I'm still mad I'm not on the the Arrow podcast. I I haven't even been asked. You're all welcome. Julian, if you want to be on the podcast, just let me know. Put you on the podcast. I've, I've, I've said it a couple of times. I've never been invited. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll put you on the list. You'll get invited. Don't worry about it. All right. All right. All right. Well, uh, for Seth Alcorn, yes. <laughs> Isaiah Hedden, and Julian Morgan, I'm Andy Weld. Thank you for listening to Sketch Nerds. Hey, fellow Sketch Nerds. One more thing before we go. This is Isaiah, and I put together the list that we talked about today and even reached out to a few fellow comedy people to get suggestions of things we could talk about. And still, somehow, we missed two very important shows, A Black Lady Sketch Show and Baroness Von Sketch. Both of them have done excellent end-of-the-world post-apocalyptic survival sketches, and you should definitely check them out. Season one for A Black Lady Sketch Show, in between all the jokes and the impressions, you know, they tell a story about surviving, and it's ridiculous and strangely relevant. You should definitely check it out. And for Baroness Von Sketch, there's season two, episode one. It satisfies on a very basic level. There's a sketch about the challenges of being single uh, in the end of the world scenario. Definitely worth checking out. Very Mad Max. I won't tell any more without ruining it. Uh, but definitely check those out. I apologize for missing these. I don't know how I did. I love both shows. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, Fair Use Exemption, for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, D.C.'s best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit BadMedicineComedy.com. 